You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Howard. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. You can feel free to give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley and make sure you check out our new Facebook page. It's very simple. Hop on Facebook and search the Other Connor Podcast. As usual, I want to say a big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. Grab your peanuts and popcorn. Baseball is back. That's right. Teams will be getting back onto the diamond this week. Last year's season sure was different, but that doesn't mean it lacked excitement. And this year is poised to be even better. DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you on the field with a free shot at a share of $1 million in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy baseball is easy to play. Just pick 10 players, standard the salary cap, and pile up points for hits, runs, strikeouts, and more. There's no better way to put your baseball knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars throughout the week. But if baseball isn't for you, don't worry. DraftKings is offering plenty of fantasy golf action for this weekend's tournament. With millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs, there's no better place to have skin in the game than DraftKings. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a free shot at a share of the millions of dollars up for grabs this week with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN to get a free shot at a share of millions of dollars with your free deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And since the last time we spoke on a Friday, the Edmonton Oilers... Couple good games against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think, when you throw it all together. Of course, the last time these two teams met, the Oilers got spanked in three consecutive games. So going into these last two, I don't know what my expectations were. I thought the Oilers would play better. And I think for the most part, they did. Saturday night, they take a 3-1 lead. And unfortunately, they do kind of have a little bit of a collapse. But those things do happen against good teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs who have that firepower, especially when they can roll all four lines. The game goes to overtime. Austin Matthews scores a kind of a fluky goal. The Leafs get the extra point in that one. And then on Monday night, overtime once again, but this time the good guys pick up the dub. Darnell Nurse, two on one with Connor McDavid. He takes the pass. He scores. The guy is absolutely on fire right now. And right before that play, Mike Smith with a huge save on Austin Matthews. The Oilers pick up the big 3-2 win. And I think when you factor it all in, two games in Toronto against the Leafs, picking up three out of four points, pretty solid. Now, on the flip side, the Maple Leafs also pick up three out of four. So you're not really making up any ground on that side, but maybe, just maybe, kind of distancing yourself from some of the teams that are behind you. So I thought for the Edmonton Oilers, that's not so bad. And now the attention turns to Tuesday when they take on the Montreal Canadiens. Puck drop set for 5 o'clock. And if you are looking for a little pregame coverage, lock it into TSN 1260. I'll be there with Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, Jason Strudwick, Jason Greger, a cast of thousands. That's on TSN 1260 starting at 4 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Today on the show, we are going to bring in Tyler Uremchuk of TSN 1260. He, of course, one half of the lowdown with Low Tide. You can also get his writing at OilersNation.com. He does a lot of great stuff there, so check that out. Give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Tyler Yaremchuk. We will also bring in former NHLer Chris Dingman. He won a couple Stanley Cups, one that really stands out to me. He was a part of that 4 Tampa Bay Lightning team that defeated the Calgary Flames. So anytime you're a part of a Stanley Cup team that prevents the Flames from winning... I think you're kind of a local hero in this town. Plus, he was born in Edmonton, grew up an Oilers fan. So we'll talk to Chris Dingman about his NHL career. He also fought George LaRock three times. He's got a very unique way to describe what it's like to fight George LaRock. So make sure you tune into that interview as well coming up here in about 15 to 20 minutes time. And we're also going to bring in a local business owner, Jake Kreitzer. He owns Vertically Inclined and it is awesome. I checked them out on Instagram. It looks like a lot of fun. We're going to talk to him. They just celebrated their 25th anniversary, 25 years of business in the city of champions. And they were actually kind enough to give us a little prize to give away on the show. We're going to give away a climbing night for two, everything included. You'll get a couple hours of climbing. They'll give you the instruction, teach you how to do it. We'll do that on social media. So check out my Twitter page at Connor Halley and we'll do something fun there. Make sure we include vertically inclined. Check them out though online at vertically inclined. 
Com. Jake Kreitzer, the owner, will join us later on in the podcast. Well, let's start things off with a little instant reaction. Immediately following the Oilers' win over the Toronto Maple Leafs, I had a chance to sit down with Tyler Uramchuk of TSN 1260. We'll get to that conversation right now. Tyler, how are you doing today, my friend? I am good, Connor. I am good. That was quite the hockey game. You know what? That that was very entertaining. Of course, the Oilers picking up the 3-2 win in overtime. Darnell Nurse with the game-winning goal. And uh, for the Edmonton Oilers, I guess if we were to take it back about a month, three really poor games against the Toronto Maple Leafs, things were looking pretty bad. Then you come, you know, fast forward to the, the last couple games here, and three out of four points all of a sudden. I mean, that's progress. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good run there. I mean, they also allowed the Leafs to take three out of four points, so that's not exactly <laughs> ideal when you're chasing them for the top spot in the North Division. But you know what? As a whole right now, like Edmonton in their last ten, I think they're going to be up to like eight, one, and one now or something like that because I think they were seven, two, and one coming into the game. So they'll either be seven, two, and one still or uh, eight, one, and one, which is whatever way it is. That's pretty impressive here. And this team has gone on some heaters so far this year and Tonight, you know, good teams, and I think I've heard Matt Cassian say this on the pregame show, you know, good teams don't have losing streaks, or great teams, I should say, don't have losing streaks. And right now, like, the way this team has kind of gone this year, take away that three-game set against Toronto, I think they've done a pretty good job of, you know, if they lose one in a row, then, you know, rarely it's two in a row. And if they do somehow lose two in a row, then usually in that third game, they come out just guns a-blazing. So, I, again, tonight was an impressive win. They didn't have their A game. There was a lot of their key players who didn't have their A game, but they found a way to just sort of gut it out and get the two points, and that's all that matters. I mean, and just before that game-winning goal by Darnell Nurse, Mike Smith comes up with an absolutely huge save on Austin Matthews. Are you starting to get more confidence that Mike Smith can be that guy making that big save that they need him to make? Well, I'm, I'm confident in it because he's been doing it now. Like, this isn't a three, four, five-game heater for Mike Smith like we'd kind of see last year, right? Like, if you go back to last season, he started the year well, and then things really, really fell off kind of in November, December there. And then he got really, really hot again for about a month, and then he sort of fell off for a little bit. But now you're looking at a Mike Smith who's given you 16 games of a 918 save percentage and a 244 goals against average. Like, I'm confident in his, in his ability to make these saves because he's been making these big saves more often than not. Like, I just, if you're an Oilers fan and you aren't confident when Mike Smith's between the pipes, granted, he often makes saves look, you know, maybe more difficult than you'd like him to, but he makes the save. So that's all you can ask from him, right? Yeah, I mean, and even going back to the last game against the Winnipeg Jets and Mikko Koskinen got the start, I thought he looked pretty good. From what you've seen, have, have you seen an improvement in the team's overall defensive play? Uh, ah, compared to when, like, would be my question. Like, compared to the start of this season against Vancouver and Montreal, yeah, I think they found a way to shape it up. Compared to, like, tonight versus 10 days ago, not overly. I still think they gave up too many chances. There were too many just sort of sloppy, sloppy mistakes in their own end. You look at this game here, they still got outshot 30-20 to 20 by the Maple Leafs in this hockey game. And this honestly feels like a game that, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, they probably lose because their goalie doesn't stand on his head. But I, I'm also not a big fan of when people say, oh, their, their goalie stole it for him or they got lucky because their goalie stole it for him. Like, no, goaltending is a part of this game. Mike Smith is a part of this team. Just because he wears different equipment doesn't mean you should be, like, discounting the Oilers' victories when he stands on his head. He was an important part of the win tonight. I don't think they were great defensively. I don't think they were brutal defensively exactly either. It was kind of just like, an average game where I thought they weren't the better team, but they had the better goalie, so they got the win. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there. Like, you know, that's like saying, well, you guys got lucky Connor McDavid scored three goals. Well, no, that's just what he does. A good goalie is capable of doing that and will keep you in game. So I think you make a great point there. Uh, Just the last two games compared to the three previous against the Maple Leafs, where I think they were outscored 13-1, to what do you think the the biggest change was for the Edmonton Oilers in uh, taking three out of four points I think they got a little bit more from their depth players. Like, even in this game, Kyle Turris scores, Josh Archibald scores. Love it. The goals are great. You want that production. But let's just go away from the goals for a second. The line of Turris, Nugent Hopkins, and Yamamoto outshot the Leafs 7-6 at 5-on-5. Last game or last night, they got caved. In those three losses before, their second, third, and fourth lines were getting caved. Kara, Archibald, Shore, they outscored the Leafs 1-0 at 5-on-5. They outshot them 4-2. Haas, Ennis, and Cassian 
The shot metrics weren't in their favor, but I thought all three of those guys did some pretty nice things. And Ennis had a couple of chances as well off the rush. To me, the big difference when you compare this game tonight with those three losses about a month ago, it's just simply their depth players have a pulse. And even if they're not scoring, I mean, tonight they needed the goals from them because Dreisaitl really didn't have it until the final five minutes of the third period in overtime. McDavid was getting interfered with and held up, and he couldn't get his legs going either. But they had that bottom nine sort of, they were able to continue to get pressure on the Leafs. And I think that's important. The Leafs are a very deep team. They're a four-line deep hockey team. And if you're the Oilers, if you want to match them in the regular season, if you want to match them in the playoffs, you're going to need guys like Kara, Shore, and Archibald. You're going to need lines like that to do what they did tonight, which is limit the Leafs to two shots against. That line played 10 minutes together at 5-on-5, five five, and the Leafs only had two shots against. That's really, really impressive. The Oilers need more of that if they want to stack up against the Leafs come playoff time. Tyler Yarmchuk of Oilers Nation and the Lowdown of Lowtie joining me here on the Other Connor Podcast. Uh, Tyler, I just want to throw a couple names at you and get your thoughts on how they played Monday night against the Maple Leafs. To me, they stood out. Uh, first one being Zach Cassian. He's moving his feet well, and the big thing for him, like we've, I mean, we've heard, I, I'm calling them excuses, but you know, oh, Cassian doesn't like playing when there's no fans. He has a hard time getting his energy up, blah, 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 blah. For me, I, I always looked at that and I said, man, you're making three point some million. Find your own energy. Find a good pump-up playlist. Browse through Spotify. Do something to get yourself going. And when he was on the ice tonight at 5-on-5, five five, the Oilers were outshot 7 nothing, which is not great. But with that being said, if you didn't tell me that stat, I would have told you Zach Cassian had a good game. He engages physically. He's skating hard. He's doing things that he wasn't doing in the bubble in Chicago. And those things are all 100% effort-based, in my opinion. So maybe the timeout with the injury made Zach Cassian... Maybe he just missed the game a little bit. Maybe he missed throwing his weight around a little bit more. And he's doing stuff. And again, effort-based is the buzzword for me with him. If he's moving his feet and banging bodies in the corner and hard on the forecheck, they can get out shot 15 to nothing at 5-on-5. And I'll be happy with what Zach Cassian did. And to me, tonight was a prime example of that. How about Adam Larson? He, oh man, I had someone who was texting me today. And they were kind of, they were never a big Taylor Hall fan, but they were giving me the whole... You know, if you uh, if you could flip it around, would you still do that trade today? And, I mean, I think that's just showing how Adam Larson's play is sort of resonating with Oilers fans right now. He's not exactly the fleetest of foot. He's not going to make the 80-foot stretch pass across the ice to spring someone for a breakaway. But what he is going to do is he's going to frustrate the opposition star players. You saw him with, I mean, maybe it was a penalty when he holds up Tavares in the defensive zone. But that kind of stuff, that grinds the gears of a star player. I was talking about McDavid, how... You know, every stride he takes, there was a Leaf putting his fist into Connor McDavid. Adam Larson does that on the other side of the coin. He's mean. He's hard to play against. He knows how to walk the line of, I'm going to get under your skin. I'm going to use my stick to irritate you, but I'm not going to take a penalty. And when it comes to breaking up a cycle, which is really important, in those times where you get caught on the ice for 50 to 55 seconds against a skilled team like the Leafs, knowing how to just get your stick in the right spot, have one hand on your stick, one hand on the opposing player's back, drive them into the boards, and break up that cycle, that is absolutely huge. And I think Adam Larson does that better than any other Oilers defenseman. I was really impressed with him tonight, but honestly, it's becoming the norm for me because I've been really impressed with him for six weeks now. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure you guys got it on the lowdown with low tide. We saw it on the Gregor show to start the year off. Adam Larson had a lot of people going after him. He's yep. kind of the whipping boy, but he's been great as of late. And, and you're right, that stuff with John Tavares that he does, I mean, that's got to drive him crazy. And, and, you know, you're not getting the call similar to what Connor McDavid has to go through. So uh, I don't really want to hear any side <laughs> really complaining yeah. too much after that. I'm sure the Maple Leaf fan base will, and so will the Oilers. But, yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff. The game inside the game, it's uh, great to see. How about Tyson and Barry taking that skate to the face Ooh. and – I mean, I was watching on low def. I don't have HD here where I am. Uh, didn't even look like he cut himself. Like, <laughs> pretty lucky for Tyson Berry to walk away from that one. Well, it, it was scary when he went down, and then he goes down, and I didn't really see what happened. And you see the replay, and you're like, oh, like I hope he's okay. But if anything, like, I think it's just super jarring as a player when that skate hits you in the face. And, like, you're probably, even though nothing bad happened, you're probably still in shock a little bit almost, right? Like, Okay, what just happened? I just got kicked in the face. Like, am I bleeding? Am I not? It was, it's like, it's rattling to watch that. And I can even imagine, like, like you can totally understand the reaction of, like, going down and immediately grabbing your face. Because, like, getting kicked in the face 
at the best of times wouldn't feel great. Never mind with a metal blade, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, Oilers fans, we, we saw Taylor Hall, right? We've seen yeah, how yeah. bad it can go for uh, Tyson Berry. Thankfully, he's okay. And uh, I actually tweeted out that it was uh, lucky that, you know, he was able to skate off, no cut or anything. And uh, had a Leafs fan reply to me, you're right. It should have been a tripping penalty on him. So, uh no, no mercy there. Uh, Tyler, of course, now the Edmonton Oilers, uh, with what happened last week, they look ahead to the Montreal Canadiens on Tuesday night, 5 o'clock start. Um, how do you think the Oilers match up with the Canadiens going into this one? The thing with the Habs is they somehow statistically found a way to shut down Connor McDavid. Like, Connor McDavid is a point a game or better, at least coming into tonight's game. He was a point a game or better against every team in this division except the Montreal Canadiens. And similar to the conversation I would have had a couple of days ago with the Leafs when they were coming off three-story games where they shut down McDavid, I'm sitting here going, you know, if McDavid doesn't get going, and McDavid and Drysaddle, because the two of them in three games against the, uh, against the Habs have only combined for, I have the number in front of me, three points in three games, combined between McDavid and Drysaddle. That's, that's not the norm for those two. So if the Oilers can get going tomorrow against the Habs, I'd be willing to say, hey, the Habs don't scare me at all. I think the Oilers, honestly, have a better forward group than them. Yes, the Canadians' blue line has these big, mean mean guys, but at the end of the day, I think they're also pretty slow aside from Jeff Petrie. So I think the Oilers are a fine matchup for the Habs. But if they shut down Connor McDavid for, like, a, essentially a fourth straight game, I might be sitting there going, have they figured something out? Do they have some sort of recipe for stopping him in the neutral zone or something like that? And, and that's what I'll be watching for tomorrow, especially coming off a game where McDavid and Dreisaitl were held pointless in regulation time. Like, can they get it going? Or will this be a situation where, you know, come around to those last couple games in the regular season, are we going to be going, man, the Habs just know how to stop Connor McDavid. It'll be interesting. Tyler, as we get closer to the NHL's trade deadline, do you think the Oilers make a move? And if so, where do you think they look to add? Uh, no, I don't think they're going to do anything crazy. Um, the only the, I talked about this with Low Tide today a little bit. If, if they're going to do anything... It'll be not impact pieces. Like, they're not going out and getting Ricard Raquel or Philip Forsberg or Victor Arbiton. I'd love for them to do that. The thing that would probably turn this team into a cup contender, in my opinion, is a scoring left winger. But I just, I don't think it's in the cards. I don't think they have the assets. They don't really have the cap space. It's more of something I'm looking for them to do in the offseason. So maybe they add a left winger with some scoring punch, but it's not going to be one of those high, high end assets. Maybe they add a depth left defenseman who can kind of be the replacement for Slater Cuckoo. Maybe. But, I mean, maybe there's a chance Slater Cuckoo, I, I think I saw six to eight weeks when he get down, when he went down. Maybe there's even a chance he's ready for the playoffs, so you don't need to add there. I, again, the center position, a lot of talk connecting them to Luke Glendening, but I'm only doing that if the price is right. I'll give up a fourth for Luke Glendening. I'm not giving up a second for Luke Glendening. The one team I think we need to watch here is Vancouver. The Oilers play the Canucks on deadline day. That's an easy spot where if, you know, a couple hours before the deadline, Vancouver calls Edmonton and says, listen, you're here. There's no quarantine. We don't have any takers for a Brandon Sutter or, you know, Tanner Pearson's injury is scaring off teams down in the States. Give us a middling prospect and a pick. We'll make the money work. And maybe one of Pearson or Sutter could come here. Like, that kind of move at the last minute on deadline day, almost like what they did with Tyler Ennis last year, where it was just like last minute, late pick for a guy who could help you, could not, but either way you're not making a huge investment. That's what I think we're going to kind of see here from Ken Holland. I like it, Tyler. And just one final question for you. I know there was some news in the AJHL and not too many people more connected than you are. So what's going on there? Nothing. <laughs> it was all about nothing. Well, yeah. Like, I, I just, I don't know. When I saw... The initial report from Rod Peterson, I was kind of just like, that's interesting because usually if there's something, like not to whatever, to my own orbit, if there's something that substantial happening, I usually hear about it or have someone asking me about it, and that just came totally out of the blue. And the next day as I sort of checked around, I just got a lot of people, you know, from those organizations that were reportedly darting for the BCHL, I had a lot of people being like, I'm just as surprised as you are that we're having this conversation, so... I mean, I think there is a maybe a conversation to be had down the road about the AJHL as a whole following the BCHL and going, you know what, we don't need to be a part of the CJHL. We can govern ourselves. We can operate on our own. But I don't think it's likely, and it's even less likely that 
I mean, four teams from Alberta are going to dust off their hands and say, we're joining the BCHL. Like, as one executive put it to me, that's like an AJHL team having to run on the budget of a WHL team while still having AJHL income. Like, it just it doesn't make sense for that to happen. It never made sense for me. So that's where I stand on it. Yeah, when when I saw the reports, I'm kind of like, this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Let's see what happens. Well, but Yeah, like the AJHL, the, the profit margins, if you want to call them that, are already so slim that like a team from Grand Prairie being like, all right, we're going for six games to <laughs> Southern BC. Like, how does that make sense? It, it just doesn't. That's why it all threw me off. Yeah, it seemed a little bit weird, but uh thought I'd ask you about to get the rundown. Tyler, I appreciate you doing this. As always, a good uh, initial reaction to the Oilers' wins or losses. Take care, and uh, hopefully we'll get you on again down the road here. Sounds good, Connor. Anytime. Excellent stuff from Tyler Uramchuk of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at Tyler Uramchuk. He's always got content out there and very informed, we thank Tyler for hopping on immediately following the Oilers 3-2 overtime victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Oilers, like I said, back in action on Tuesday, 5 o'clock puck drop against the Montreal Canadiens, then a few days off before taking on the Calgary Flames once again. So pretty good schedule for the Edmonton Oilers looking to make it two straight on. On Tuesday evening. Right now, let's get to a guy who grew up cheering for the Oilers. He met Wayne Gretzky. He witnessed a bunch of Stanley Cups. Then he went on to the NHL and won a couple. One with the Avalanche, one with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Chris Dingman played 385 games in the NHL, and he joins us now. Chris, thanks a lot for doing this. How are you doing today? Uh, doing pretty good. Yourself? I'm very good, thanks. I really appreciate you coming on here on the Other Connor Podcast. And uh, I mean, you had an outstanding career. 385 games played with the Flames, Avs, Lightning, Hurricanes. You're also a WHL champion with the Brandon Wheat King, selected 19th overall in the 1994 NHL draft by the Flames. But I got to start off with, I mean, you're born in Edmonton. Did you grow up an Oilers fan? Um, I did, yes. Uh, big Oilers fan. So <laughs> when I got drafted by Calgary, uh, they had quite, quite, they had a lot of fun with that, especially going into the draft and just after getting drafted, they're like, oh, how's it, you know, what's it like getting drafted by your arch rival and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I was an older fan, but now I'm a Flames fan, so there's no need to worry about any of that. Yeah, I guess the allegiance would change pretty quickly. So growing up, uh, who was your favorite Oiler? Well, obviously, he was a Gretzky fan, uh, just because, you know, uh, Arguably the greatest player, if not top two or three, depending on who you talk to. But uh, big Gretzky fan, big Messier fan, just because you know, I like the Messier was a skilled guy, but he had a nasty side. He would hit, he would fight. And then uh, obviously I like the fighting too. So uh, I was a big fan of Semenko and then uh, Dave Brown as well. So, I mean, do you have a favorite memory? Was there a Stanley Cup that stood out to you? I guess you probably got a chance to see them all kind of right in that heyday. Yeah, I mean, obviously watching them win, it was great. But um, I was skiing when I was, I think I was like eight years old. And I wasn't a very good skier. My dad would kind of guide me down the hill. And we went on a ski trip. And the first day of the ski trip, uh, he let one of his friends, uh, I guess, kind of guide me down the hill. And he let me go. And I didn't know how to stop. So long story short, I hit a tree, broke my leg. And that was probably concussion number one in my life. And... The ski trip wasn't a lot of fun because I was stuck. Uh, I wasn't able to ski, but uh, the positive was I got to meet Wayne Gretzky. So uh, I was able to go down to practice and I got to meet the great ones. So I have a picture uh, of a uh, young me in a very bad sweater with a very bad haircut uh, with the great ones. So uh, I guess a good memory out of something that happened uh, that wasn't such a good memory. Well, I, I got to ask, how did that lead to you meeting Wayne Gretzky? Did you go down there with crutches or in a wheelchair or anything? <clears throat> Well, no, my, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, like, stand outside with a sign saying I just broke my leg. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the great one. Uh, my dad did some work for the Oilers back in the day, Peter Pockington and Glenn Saylor, so uh, he's an interior designer. So uh, he did uh, a little bit of work for him, so he had some contacts. I think it probably went something along the line of uh, my son's a big hockey fan. He's a hockey player. He broke his leg. Is there any chance he can meet uh, Wayne Gretzky, something like that? Worked out okay, yeah. Chris, I got to ask you about playing in Brandon, Manitoba. You became the uh, captain of the Wheat Kings. You guys win a WHL championship. How was that for your hockey career? Um, I mean, it's great. I think uh, winning's awesome. Uh, I mean, there's nothing better. That's the beauty of team sports is that you need everybody. Uh, you know, you need the guys that are dressed that night, but then you need extra players that uh, due to injuries or 
sometimes your goalie isn't playing well or whatever it may be. So uh, it was great. It was uh, I was really proud to you know be part of a franchise like the Wheat Kings and uh, all the history. I mean, you know, you go back to those great seasons they had, and that one season especially, and you know all the great players, Ray Ferraro and. You know, Lori Boschman, Brian Propp, uh, McCrimmon brothers, you can go on and on, Hextall. Uh, so I took a lot of pride in playing for the Wheat Kings and then uh, being the captain. Uh, obviously, that was a great honor for me. Um, and I took it uh, you know, I took it very seriously, being chosen the captain and uh, being able to win was great. Uh, I mean, it's winning's hard uh, in any sport, especially in hockey, just because, you know, you need, to, you need to get those four four victories in each round. So... I mean, able to be, be able to win a Western League championship was was great. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of bus rides because we're playing Spokane in the finals, so that's not like uh, taking a flight from Edmonton to Calgary or bus ride. So uh, there was a lot of travel involved and a lot of camaraderie on the bus rides and uh, a lot of movie watching. So yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, some great teammates and guys. Uh, you know, the beauty of winning and playing sports and playing hockey is that. Uh, you know, I ran into my old goaltender, Jody Lehman, uh, when I moved back a couple of years ago, and he's helped me out a lot with uh, business and you know, what I'm doing now and selling stout gloves, and it's amazing. It's just such a small world, and you know, I hadn't seen him in like 20 years, and we went for lunch, and it was like no time had passed. So uh, obviously the memories you make uh, playing sports, but the memories you make winning are just, you know, for me are great. So they're second to none. So, you know, it was a great honor. It was a great experience, and uh yeah, I mean, the bus ride back was great. Uh, we were able to have a couple gold ones, and we had about uh, 2,000 fans waiting for us when the bus came back. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, I still have the picture uh, coming off the cup or coming off the uh, off the bus with the uh, with the I won't call it the cup, but the Western League Championship trophy, and I had my jean tuxedo on. So uh, <laughs> I was pretty proud of that. My Levi's uh, 501 uh, jacket and my jean matching jeans. So. I was styling back then, but not so much now. <laughs> I got to ask you about the bus rides. I mean, you know, nowadays the kids got their iPads, their phones, they're they're finding different ways to pass time. But back in the early '90s, what what did you guys do? Uh, we played cards, <laughs> and I actually read I read a lot of books. I was big in autobiographies, so you know, anytime an autobiography came out, I'd read. So yeah, just play cards, uh, read. Uh, sleep if you could. Uh, if you're lucky enough to get a bunk after your first year, uh, that helps. That helps the sleeping situation a lot more. And uh, watch movies. But um, you know, our coach at the time, or my coach the whole time I was there, was Bobby Lowe's, and he was great. He was a super intense guy. I don't think uh, he'd be like Tortorella 2.0. Uh, <laughs> he has that kind of intensity, but maybe a little bit more at times. And uh, he had a rule that if you lost on uh, on a road game, you weren't able to watch movies after the game. So uh, it was an incentive to win uh, because it was a pretty boring bus ride <laughs> with no movies. And I'll never forget, we went on the West Coast trip. Uh, I believe it was my third year. And we had a pretty good, you know, so you play seven games in like 13 days or something like that or 12 days. And, you know, it was great because it's 20, it's like 20, 21 hours out there, depending on what uh, city you went to. And, so we had a pretty good trip. I think we were like five and one going into the last game at Portland, and that was when Portland, like they had the old barn and it was rocking. They'd come out to uh, Symphony Destruction, Megadeth, and you know they come out. And it's like da da da. The place is rocking. There was like sixteen thousand people or something, which was probably the biggest crowd I've ever played in front of because Brandon only seats about five thousand, maybe five and a half uh, when it's fully sold out. But uh, anyways, long story short, I, I scored the first goal of the game, and then. Uh, Portland scores 10 straight, so uh, we get pounded. But after about the third or fourth goal, uh, I just started picking fights and got kicked out. Um, anyways, uh, long story short, so we got to go 27 hours back on the bus, and we stopped once in Medicine Hat to basically get a bite to eat. And uh, we, are, we rented three rooms so guys could shower because it started to get a little musty on the bus after uh, that many hours. And so it was funny, like the night, you know, you you lose the game and then that night you go to bed and then you wake up the next day and, you know, you're like, okay, who's going to ask the coach if we can watch a movie? So I went up and I was like, you know, hey, is okay, you know, can we put a movie on? He's like, no. And I'm like, okay. So 27 hours, uh, no movies. That was uh, probably the longest bus trip I've ever been on my life. So that was when I had uh, the uh, Pearl Jam Versus, that album came out. So I was on heavy rotation on my disc band. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Uh, good, good on the coach for sticking by his rules, right? Uh, keeping you guys honest there. Uh, so heading into the 1994 NHL entry draft, uh, I mean, your 19th overall pick, pretty highly touted. What was the experience like maybe compared to now? Did you guys have to do any sort of combine, any testing, the interview process? Well, you know, I can't really speak to what guys do now because I haven't done it, but... Um... You know, we got. I was flown out to a couple of different cities. I went out to Quebec City with uh, Sherry Bass, and that was great. Did some testing, went for dinner in a nice restaurant, and uh, you know, we were able to have a, a couple of adult beverages, even though we weren't of age. And uh, went to Jersey, did some testing on the treadmill and stuff. And you know, there were some European guys, some Russian guys, and they were unbelievable on the treadmill. But the bench press, they weren't good at. And all us Western League guys were really good on the bench press and the pull-downs and all that stuff, but not as great on the treadmill. But uh, So we did a little bit of that, and then going into the draft, um, you know, I did some psychological testing, which was pretty interesting. And uh, it was funny, after the fact, uh, I did this testing with Calgary where I looked at, like, ink blotches and stuff, and, like, what do you see? And I went really into detail on the things I thought I saw in this. And this it wasn't a picture. It was just, you know, a piece of paper with uh, ink on it. And then they gave me my answers, and then they gave other people's answers. So I guess my answers were really detailed and then did this other thing where we went A1, B2, C3, connect the dots kind of thing, and then you put headphones on. And then the headphones are telling you to do something different. So I started and I stopped and I started, I stopped again. I said, well, am I supposed to do what the headphones are telling me or am I supposed to go continue to do A1, B2, C3? They said, well, no, you're supposed to do A1, B2, C3. This is just supposed to distract you. I said, okay. So I did it and then they gave me my results and, he said, well, I just want to tell you, you know, after you, after you had to restart a couple of times, that's the fastest time out of all the guys we've tested. I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And there's this other thing where we had a piece of string and it was attached to uh, a paperclip. And you basically put your elbow on the table and you had it between your thumb and your forehead and your pointer finger. And you tried to get it to move, but you weren't allowed to move your hand. And I don't know how I did it, but I had the thing circling around, which I was like, okay, that's pretty neat. So <laughs> anyways, I didn't talk to Calgary again after that. And so I didn't know, like, and I'd heard there was interest. So I'm talking to Donnie Meehan, who's my agent. I was projected to be a late first round, early second round pick. But, I mean, you just don't know. You go to the draft and, you know, you do all these interviews. And I remember meeting Paul Holmgren and, like, he shook my hand and he almost crushed my hand. Like, his hand, it was like he had another knuckle to my hand. It was so intimidating. And all like, and all he wanted to know was, like, so he fought Belak a few times this year. I was like, yeah. And he goes, who won? And I was like, I don't know. I said I won one for sure because uh, we had one really good fight in uh, Saskatoon where he split me for six and I broke his nose. So I'm like, I'll take six zippers over a broken nose any day of the week. And I said the other one, I maybe got the best one and the rest. You know, he beat me a couple times and whatever. And that's the only one I wanted to talk about was Belak and I fighting because Beeler was, you know, he was a tough kid and whatever. So you go around, you do all these interviews, and but you don't really know who's going to draft you. And so, you know, uh, anyways, I get – I get drafted by Calgary. I, you know, you get your name called. It's pretty surreal, and it's a great achievement, and you know, a dream come true. And then all everyone wanted to know is like, "Oh, you're an Oilers fan? You know, it's like being drafted by Calgary." So well, I'm a Flames fan now because Calgary drafted me. And you know, I found out after the fact that I guess Dallas had had my name written down at 20. So if Calgary wouldn't have drafted me, um, they would have they would have taken me at the 20th pick, which is pretty interesting. And I mean, who knows how the things would have worked out, but. Uh, you know, I remember talking to the head scout uh, then at the time then was Tom Thompson. He was a great guy. And Doug Risebrow was a GM and just a super man. And Tom Thompson was telling me, you know, he's like, we knew we wanted you. So he's like, we did that one interview with you. And then we didn't talk to you again purposely because we wanted no one to think, you know, that we're interested in you because, we, you know, we really wanted you. And he said, not only that, uh, like my 17-year-old year, I had some uh, really bad quad contusions, which is like a Charlie horse because I kept hitting guys. And I guess my pant, my the padding in my pant would move and, so I had a couple bad uh, quad contusions. So I had these injuries, and after the one injury, I came back and I was playing right wing, and I had never really played right wing before. And Tom was saying to me, he goes, oh, my God. He goes, you know how happy I was when you came back and you were playing right wing? I said, no, why? He goes, because you were awful. <laughs> He's like, you were, you were struggling so bad, but we wanted you, and we knew we wanted you, so we thought it was great. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, like at the time, you don't know. And so it was pretty funny to hear that after the fact. So... You know, it was uh, pretty surreal and obviously great that, uh, you know, a team wants you and, you know, really wanted you, I guess, not not that bad, but they, you know, really wanted to take me. And, you know, after, the, you know, the draft in Hartford, there's not much going on downtown Hartford. So, 
you know, we got dropped in, and then I remember, you know, we we're hanging out with all the Western League guys like myself and Red Warner and Chad Allen and Wade Belak, and you know, having a having a couple beverages, and, and it was uh, it was pretty cool. So nothing too too exciting, but uh, just a great experience. You know, my parents came and. You know, we did all the hug, all the hugs and stuff when you get your name called. So yeah, it was uh, it was great. It was just pretty neat. Uh, some of the testing and you know there wasn't really any testing at the draft, but all the testing when teams flew you out that was pretty neat because it's you know as a 17 year old kid when you're flying to New Jersey or Quebec City and these different cities and like, you're put up in these great like fantastic five star hotels. It's uh, pretty cool so it was a neat experience all around oh that sounds awesome so i want to go a few years down the road now and I, if my research is correct november 15th 1997 first regular season game in edmonton against the oilers uh, what was that like and how many tickets did you have to buy for friends and family oh man that was my first game wow um against in edmonton in edmonton oh in edmonton yeah, yeah. um <laughs> i was gonna say uh jeez. I think I only bought I think I bought about six or eight maybe. I think uh just for my parent like my parents, my sister and stuff and uh my wife then girlfriend and my buddies were pretty good. They had already like their parents had season tickets or they were sharing season tickets, so I didn't get hammered too bad in Edmonton uh for tickets. So it was usually pretty good. So I'd usually get it to about four four to six and <clears throat> so it wasn't too bad. Where I got killed was uh, in the finals um, when we were playing Calgary just because, you know, I just wanted to make sure everyone could go, like obviously my wife and uh, my family and my parents and my in-laws and stuff. So what I did is I just bought eight tickets for every game, and then I just said to my wife, I'm playing, you deal with the tickets, please, <laughs> and thank you. And she just allotted them accordingly. So that was uh, that cost me uh, a few dollars, but it was well worth it uh, just for – you know, just for everyone to be able to experience it and go to games and stuff. And, you know, I think the best was uh, my two brother-in-laws and my parents, and they were at game six, and when Marty St. Louis scored that goal, and they, you could hear a pin drop, and they were, like, wooing it up and, like, yeah, you know, and just, I was like, after, like, my wife was telling me, like, oh, my God, I thought they were going to get the crap kicked out of them. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was all good experiences. Edmonton was, uh, I mean, to come back and play in Edmonton was awesome. Just Northlands. Coliseum, just you know, obviously watching those great Oilers teams over the years and the, the history of it, and the ice was so good that you know I wasn't a great skater, but man, I felt like a really good skater on that sheet. So uh, it was just great to be able to play the Oilers and you know play in the building and you know just the atmosphere of it. I think just on behalf of the Oilers fans listening, thank you for beating the Calgary Flames back in two thousand four. <laughs> it was a, oh. a good thing we couldn't have them winning another cup. And congratulations on your win with the Stanley or with the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was a real fun series, and I know uh, still a sore spot for a lot of the Calgary Flames fans out there. Just a few more questions for you, Chris. And I, I got to bring it up. I know you fought George Larock three times. Looking back at my notes, you're the first time, December first, nineteen ninety nine. How was that? Oh well. <clears throat> The history of George was, uh, so we were playing the Memorial Cup, actually, my last year. And he was playing for, I think it was Granby, right? And mm-hmm. he was killing us because he was like 6'3", 6'4", 255 pounds. And we had, you know, we had Justin Kurtz and Sven Boonshaw and Wade Redden. You know, we had some good defensemen, and no one could get the puck away from him. I love hearing the stories, like, you know, I listen to you guys and, you know, the different guys that played for that. And Greg DeVries was a lot he was my roommate in Colorado and he'd say, Oh, George just wanted to play keep away in practice. So anyways, long story short, no one could get the puck away from him. So my coach, Bobby Lowe's is like, you know, the rock's killing us. You got to do something about it. I said, okay. So our goaltender at the time, Joey Lehman, he goes, I got this. I'll get a fight going. And I, I hadn't seen the video till like, I don't know, a couple months ago. And so there was like a point shot. George stopped. He wasn't even anywhere near the net, but he stopped like five feet away from the net. And Joey Lehman hopped up gave Michelle and was like what's your problem so I go flying in and grab him and I'm like we're going we're fighting and I get he couldn't fight I didn't know at the time but he had a bad thumb and so I ended up ripping uh, those old Cooper helmets I ended up ripping his helmet in half and for the rest of the game he had to wear some four flying some poor 16 year old kid's helmet and it just sat on the top of his head and I thought it was all fun and games till we had rookie camp uh, all the rookie games next year so we fought like two or three times in rookie camp and uh, that was not a lot of fun. So uh, the fight in Edmonton, actually, I had had uh, subluxed my shoulder, and 
I was I wanted to come back because I wanted to play in Edmonton. I knew this road trip was coming up, and you know it was important to play in Edmonton. So they're like, "Can you play?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I can play." So I had to wear this shoulder harness, uh, where's like a strap around your chest, and then there was a strap that was attached to this band on your arm, and I could only lift my arm up like halfway, and you know lined up against George, and you know George is an intimidating man and very strong and. But, like, I love that video where I think it was where he was fighting Nazarov or somebody. He said, hey, how's it going, you know? Are you ready to fight or can you fight? Okay, good luck. And people, like, they play that video and they're like, wow, this guy's very cordial. So, anyways, George knew I was injured and coming back. And so he lined up against me and said, hey, uh, Digger, uh, are you okay to fight? And I said, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm okay. He's like, okay, we're going. And I said, yeah, sure. So, uh, that was an okay fight. Um he definitely got the best of me, but I will say he never hit me with anything in the face, but it's probably because he was tossing me around so bad. So uh, I was just happy that <laughs> I didn't get my nose broke or anything. Uh, fighting George was not a lot of fun. It was like, uh, it would be like fighting a bull. And after you punch the bull in the nuts, and you're just hanging on for your dear life because uh, he's just so strong and so big and his balance was so good. So uh, I think I beat George in our fights. I think I beat him once, and the other ones was just just trying not to get killed and just uh, hanging in there. <laughs> uh, just a couple of quick ones for you, Chris, and this is just, just my curiosity. Back in the day when you're on the road coming to Edmonton, what was the uh, the hot spot when it comes to going out and uh, going out with the teammates? In Edmonton, wow. I don't know. I don't really... I don't think there really was a hot spot, to be honest with you. Uh, Nothing like the Roxy or anything? Down, I, <laughs> no, I, I remember we used to go, a buddy of mine owned Sweet 69 back in the day, so we went there, like the billiard club, a buddy of mine was a manager uh, at the time, so I'd just go with my buddies, and so we just, yeah, we'd go to the billiard club or Sweet 69 or a place like that, or, yeah, there wasn't really, uh, wasn't really a hot spot, like maybe Calgary, like Calgary had Cowboys back in the mm-hmm. day, and then it was Kaylee's, and but yeah, there wasn't, uh, I just went out with my buddies, my high school, junior high buddies, uh, just to a couple of those places that just come to mind. How about, uh, restaurants? Anywhere you guys like to go? Oh, in Edmonton, uh, well, I love Caesar's, um, uh, Steakhouse. The, I love that place and obviously the keg. Um, and then there was one new one that came along after. I can't, I don't know if they redid the keg or there was one other steakhouse. I can't think of the name of it, but it was all mahogany. It was a nice place um, downtown. You'd probably know better. Than uh, was it Ruth's Chris? Oh, yeah. Ruth's That's, Chris, oh, there you yeah. go. Good spot. Good spot yeah. there. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, I really appreciate you doing this today. What are you up to now? Uh, I sell gloves. Uh, brother-in-law, my brother-in-law started a company, Stout Gloves. Um, so I'm helping him out selling safety gloves. So, you know, for all the different applications, obviously construction, oil work, uh all that kind of stuff, impact-resistant, cut-resistant, leather, nightshell, different kinds. So, yeah, I sell gloves, which is kind of ironic because uh, I pretty much dislocated or broken every one of my fingers. And, you know, I used to take my gloves off to hit people, and now I put gloves on all the time to pack and deliver them. So <laughs> who would have thought? No, you're helping people. <laughs> well, Chris, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it, and I'll have to get you on again sometime down the road. No, sure, no problem, anytime. Excellent stuff from Chris Dingman, longtime NHLer. What a career he had, and uh, that's got to be pretty interesting going from an Edmonton Oilers fan, someone who was there, met Gretzky, watched them win all those Stanley Cups, to being drafted by the Calgary Flames, the mortal enemy. i got to imagine that was a little bit tough, but once you make the pros, I guess you just move on. You stop being a fan, and it becomes a business. I'm really glad Chris could hop on the podcast and join us. I know we typically have former Oilers on, but a kid from the Edmonton area was in the Battle of Alberta, fought George LaRock three times. I thought he would be a fun guest to get on the podcast, and of course, he did not disappoint. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Dingdish. Right now, I want to change things up a little bit here, and I do like to go into the local Edmonton community and bring on some local entrepreneurs, some businessmen, and if you go back a couple of weeks, we did have one of the creators of Pride Tape on the show. We did a giveaway, had a lot of fun with that, and of course, the Oilers were wearing that Pride Tape on their sticks on Monday night when they took on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And on today's episode of the Other Connor Podcast, I want to bring another local business owner onto the show, of course, 
Vertically Inclined, just celebrating 25 years in business in the Edmonton area. If you're a climber, I'm sure you've been there. If you're looking to get into it, we've got some valuable information for you. And we will be doing a giveaway, so make sure you tune into this interview. The owner, Jake Kreitzer, joins me now. Jake, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, we're really happy to get you on here. And I, I just saw that you guys are celebrating 25 years in the business. Uh, how did it all get going? How did you start the company? Yeah, it's been 25 years. And I guess 25 years ago, I uh, I was a rock climber. And uh, I, I loved the sport. It was so much fun. And I'd uh, seen a few other gyms in North America and thought this would be a great way to, you know, expose people to the benefits of climbing without having to have a crazy Uncle Fritz to take you out to the mountains. So uh, that's about how it got started. And what what is the process like when you would show up? I mean, obviously you have to get suited up, but uh, and especially, I guess, now with, with COVID and the protocols changing, what's it like once you get into the building? Yeah, COVID has, uh, has changed things. So uh, as with other fitness things, you have to book online before you can come in. You can't just show up like in the old days. So we have to know that you're coming, and we have two-hour slots. And in between each of the slots, we do all of the cleaning that needs to be done of all the surfaces. So uh, we try and make it as COVID-safe as possible. Um, Then when you show up, we get you geared up. We give you a tutorial, a little lesson on how to use all the rope systems if you want to use the ropes or if you want to just go bouldering, which is climbing without the ropes, then off you go. You don't need quite as many... uh, lessons or quite as much information and yeah so we we do and depending on what program you come in to do if you're doing one of our like we have 10 week semester programs so there's a little more instruction and lessons on how to be a really good climber and how to learn all the systems to go outdoors so depends on what you want to come in and do as to what we're going to teach you and jake this can be a really good form of exercise as well correct like i know there's a lot of people out there that might not like to run or go lift weights go to the gym this could be a little bit of an alternative uh, you know what? That's one of the things about climbing is it's uh, it's a lot more like an engaging sport, like you know, chasing a ball or something. As you really do need to focus. It's something that you know you engage your mind as well as your body. So you're not really thinking of oh my arm is getting pumped. You think oh I want to get to the top. So the fitness is almost a byproduct of doing this really cool activity that you're focused on. A lot of people have said that climbing is a lot like vertical chess, and you're the chess piece. And you have to move yourself, so it's kind of a kind of tricks you into getting fit. And yeah, some of the really good climbers are quite strong and sinewy, but you know, there's you know every body type. And if you want to be the best in the world, you're going to have to you know think about diet and all that stuff. But if you just want to climb, it's kind of like you can anyone can do it. It's just up to you. So does it vary in difficulty throughout the walls? I mean, is there one that maybe you would do, and then a beginner one that I would do? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. And the, some of the walls, it's uh, obviously if they're steeper, they're a little bit harder. But we, what we try and do is with our staff that are, you know, have all the climbing skills is we try and build the climbing routes based on color. And then you can follow a hard route or an easy route, and it could be on the same wall. So we could together climb a wall. I might try a harder one than you, or you might try a harder one than me. Um, and then, you know, so that's one of the nice things about climbing is you can climb with someone who's even a little bit better than you. And it doesn't matter because you guys can both still climb. And that's part of the joy of climbing. It's just pushing yourself. So Jake, I just want to, I want to ask you, I mean, COVID obviously was tough on everyone and, and you guys oh. obviously fought through it now celebrating 25 years in the business, but how long were you guys closed for and, and how's it been since you reopened? We were closed for 172 days, and when we weren't closed, we were operating at 25% and 50%. So it was terrible for our business, of course, like everyone else, but, I mean, we're better off than some. Um, and, you know, we we made it through, and um, we're very fortunate and uh, took advantage of every government program that was available. Uh, now that we're open, you know, it's uh, we're slowly getting a bit busier, but we got to work hard and gain back the momentum that we lost by being open. People have forgotten about, you know, us being uh, around and an option, so we're trying really hard to get out in the community and our Instagram and all of that stuff. So uh, 
you know, we're hoping it just gets better and better. And I'm really, really hoping we don't close again or aren't made to close again. Oh, I absolutely, uh, I agree with you. That, that would be tough. And uh, it's awesome that you guys fought through, made it through, still sticking around. And you guys have actually offered up a nice little package. We're going to give away a night of climbing for two people, everything included. So we'll do that on social media. We'll make sure we include both of ours, uh, our social media pages, and uh, people can check us both out. But what does that include? What can people look forward to when they head over to Vertically Inclined? Right, so it's a climbing adventure for two. So basically, uh, great date night, or just come with uh, you know your son or daughter or whatever you have, uh, or whatever you like, and you get everything included. We teach you how to use the rope systems, the rental gear, and then you can climb for like I said that two hour block. Uh, most people don't don't make it right to the end. It's it's hard to climb for two hours straight, um, but so you can yeah, include everything, have lots of fun. A uh, great way to spend, uh, you know, a positive way to spend your time. Well, Jake, thank you so much for coming on the podcast here. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I'll keep you posted. We'll see how many people we get uh, entering this contest, and uh, hopefully we get a lot in. Hopefully for the people that don't make it out, hopefully they'll find their way to Vertically Inclined. Check out the website, verticallyinclined.com. Is there any other places where they can check you guys out or a phone number they can reach you at? Uh, sure. Phone number is 780 and verticallyinclined.com, probably the best place, or on Instagram, uh, verticallyinclined with no spaces. So uh, thanks, Connor. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you could get you on here today, and uh, thanks a lot for this. Okay, yeah, cheers. Great to have Jake Kreitzer, the owner of Vertically Inclined, join me here on the Other Connor Podcast. Check them out at their website, verticallyinclined.com. And like we talked about, we are going to be doing a giveaway. So give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley, and uh, you'll see how we can do it. We'll keep it simple. Maybe just a retweet, maybe a like, maybe just taking who you would take with you to do some rock climbing. And uh, there you go. Free date night. It's covered. Ladies, gentlemen, you want to take your partner out? We got you covered here on the Other Connor Podcast. Big thank you to the fine folks at Vertically Inclined as well. And that's going to wrap it up for us here on the Other Connor Podcast. Big thank you to all of our guests who joined us on the program today. Tyler Uramchuk of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation. Chris Thingman, former NHLer, and Jake Kreitzer, the owner down at Vertically Inclined. Check them all out on social media. And uh, one big thank you to our sponsor as well, DraftKings. Check them out. Download the DraftKings app now. And when you sign up, make sure you use promo code THPN. That's THPN standing for the Hockey Podcast Network. Shout out to them as well. On the next episode of the Other Connor Podcast, we'll set up the Battle of Alberta. We'll recap the Oilers and the Canadians game. And uh, we'll try to bring in a few special guests for you as well. My name is Connor Halley. Give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. We'll talk to you next time on the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.